Our scripture reading this morning is the same as last week, Matthew 4 from verse 23 to chapter 5 verse 12, and our text this week will be 5 verse 1 to 3. But before we read, let's ask for God's blessing again. Our Lord, as we come to the reading of your word and the, the preaching thereof, prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us all voices but your own, O Lord, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 4 from verse 23 onwards. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the peoples. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So far the reading. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pride, passion, pretense and pain, and poverty of spirit. Those are the themes of Tolstoy's novel, Father Sergius. Now, as a young man, this Sergius had been very ambitious. He worked his way up through the Russian army, he worked his way up through the aristocracy, and he was set to marry into the royal family. But when he learnt that his royal fiancée was unfaithful, he broke off that engagement, even though it would cost him his career. He dumped her and became a monk. He dedicated himself to religion. He became poor, financially speaking. But the question that Tolstoy's book asks is whether he was also spiritually poor. We're going to leave that question open. We'll return to it a bit later. The question of the book was whether Father Sergius was also spiritually poor. Spiritual poorness, spiritual poverty, that's what... The first of Jesus' eight beautiful attitudes is about, as verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And friends, this isn't just a, a catchy phrase. It isn't pop psychology. It isn't a bumper sticker type of thing. It describes life in God's kingdom. And as we saw last week, it's the foundation on which all the other beautiful attitudes are built. 
So let me just recap what that word blessed means for those who, who might have missed it last week or for those who may have forgotten already. If you've grown up with the Bible in your house, you probably know what blessed means. You'll know that it means something. It means something special. But in general society, it's become, well, quite overused. In our society, if you are rich, you are blessed. If you've got all the trappings of wealth, you're blessed. If you're good-looking or physically attractive, you're blessed. If you're popular at school, well, then you're blessed. But this isn't what being blessed means scripturally. And it also doesn't just mean being happy. Happy person may not always be blessed, and a blessed person might not always be happy. Happiness is a, a subjective state. It has to do with, with feelings. But Jesus is not declaring here how people feel or should feel. What he's talking about is, that, is what they are because of what God thinks of them. They're blessed. That's when they are blessed. Or to put it this way, happiness has to do with how you feel in yourself, but being blessed is how God views you. When God blesses us, he approves of us. And being blessed means that God approves of you. It means that God is smiling on you. It means God has turned his face towards you and has shown his favour to you. Our description of this state of blessedness that I personally find really helpful is that blessedness is the applause of heaven. And against that background, let's ask ourselves these questions. Are we above all this striving for worldly happiness? Are we striving to be approved by God? Are we looking at our own applause or the applause of others? Or are we looking for the applause of heaven? If God's blessing means more to us than the approval of loved ones, no matter how cherished they might be, or of colleagues, no matter how influential they might be, then these beatitudes, especially this beatitude, will speak to us very personally, very deeply. Let's take a look, a bit of a deeper look then, at what this blessing of poverty, of poverty of spirit really means. To be poor in spirit does not mean that you have to view yourself as, as having no value. As I said last week, Christ bought us at an enormous cost. So in him and to him, all of us are of immense value. To be poor in spirit also does not refer to a false humility or a, a showy modesty. You know what I mean by false humility. It's that type of humility that says, look at me, look at me, look at how humble I am. That's what Uriah Heep was like. Not the rock band. Uriah Heep, but the character in the novel David Copperfield. He kept reminding everyone how humble he was. He wanted everyone to know what a humble man he was. But that's just false humility. It's certainly not the poverty of spirit that Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is what our relationship with God looks like. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, this is not about people being face to face with each other. 
but about people being face to face with God. And friends, if we come face to face with God, if we come face to face with God, don't you think that we would realize how spiritually poor we really are? Poverty of spirit has to do with this this recognition and with the, the acknowledgement of our own spiritual bankruptcy. It's the realization that we have nothing to offer. It's an understanding that, that we have nothing by which we can win God's favor. To be poor in spirit means recognizing and, and acknowledging all of that. It means understanding and, and confessing our total and utter dependence on God. One author puts it this way. Poverty of spirit may end in a Gideon vanquishing the enemy hosts, but it begins with a Gideon who first affirms he's incapable of that task and who insists that if God does not go with him, he would much prefer to stay at home and thrash grain. He acknowledges that without God, he can do nothing. Or to put it in the words of that wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages, to be poor in spirit means coming before our rock of ages declaring, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress, helpless I look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Brothers and sisters, being poor in spirit means that you are truly, deeply and intensely aware of what you are outside of God. It means confessing that apart from Christ, we are all damaged goods. All damaged goods in need of restoration, in need of, of spiritual renewal. It means that you recognize and that you, that you accept your desperate need for Christ. As I prepared this sermon, I came across the story of, of what such recognition and such confession of spiritual poverty looked like uh, for the Russian actor Alexander Rostovzev. Um, some years ago in Moscow, Alexander played the role of Jesus in a sacrilegious play called Christ in a Tuxedo. He was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon of the Mount, remove his gown and cry out, give me my tuxedo and top hat. But as he re read those words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He began to tremble. And instead of following the script, he kept reading from Matthew 5, ignoring the coughs and the, the calls and the foot stamping of his fellow actors. Finally, recalling a verse that, that he had learned in his childhood, he cried out, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Friends, in that moment, he recognized his spiritual poverty. He acknowledged that without Christ, he was lost. And before that curtain could be lowered, he had trusted Jesus. He trusted in Jesus as his personal saviour. He recognized his own spiritual poverty and his deep, deep need for Christ. We can also get a better understanding of what poor in spirit means by looking at the, what the original text says. 
The word poor in Greek is a word that's ptochos, that, that idea of <coughs> bringing out the phlegm. Um, but it has to do with that idea of everything is, is bad in your life. It's, the background to that word is, has to do with cowering or cringing like a beggar. It paints a picture of poverty so deep, so absolute, that the person must obtain his living by, by begging. It means that the person is unable to survive on his own and is fully and totally dependent on the giving of others. So when we combine that word with the word in spirit, we get a better picture, don't we, of what Jesus is talking about here. A good way of putting it is to say, blessed are those who realize and confess that they are totally and utterly dependent on the work of Christ. And friends, it's this acknowledgement of total dependence, this recognition of our spiritual poverty, this emptying of our, our spiritual life of all arrogance and pride and boastfulness that allows us to be filled by the richness of grace that is in Christ Jesus. Spiritually empty that we might be filled with the richness of grace that is in Christ Jesus. One of the best illustrations of this recognition that in ourselves we have nothing to recommend us to God is Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that we see in, in Luke eight, uh, sorry, Luke 18. The Pharisee and the tax collector went to the temple to pray and in their prayers we see just what the attitudes of their hearts were. The Pharisee was convinced of his righteousness. He praised himself for his twice weekly fasting for the fact that he tithed and he thanked God that he was not like other people especially like the tax collector today he might have said oh thank you God that I'm not like Sheila who hasn't been in church for a while or Bruce who hasn't done as much as I have for the church or little Johnny who doesn't want to come to church any longer if this Pharisee were to write a book today, it most likely be titled something like Look at how great I am in attaining my humility. You see, rather than coming before God in humility, he came with pride, with arrogance, with self-righteousness. He came with, before God with an attitude almost of that God owed him, owed him for being such a good person. He felt that he'd earned a special standing before God by what he did. Now that isn't quite being poor in spirit, is it? And what about the other man? The tax collector. He came, as John Wesley said, with a deep sense of the loathsome leprosy of his sin with which he was born and which tainted his whole soul. He came with that deep sense of the loathsome leprosy of the sin with which he was born and that clothed or tainted his whole soul. He came with a deep sorrow over his sin. He wouldn't even lift his eyes up towards heaven. He recognized his spiritual bankruptcy and he cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And Jesus ends the parable by saying that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the Pharisee exalted himself, didn't he? He trusted in his own righteousness, in his own works. He was so full of himself that there was no place for God. But the tax collector came. He came empty. He came ready to be filled. He came poor in spirit. He came with a right heart and he went away justified. Now friends, we have to acknowledge that that because of our sinful nature it is difficult for us to be poor of spirit. We also live in a world, we grow up in a world that's focused on the self. From an early age we are taught to be self-sufficient. We're encouraged to be independent, to be autonomous even. And that old sin of pride makes its way into our hearts. Vanity, selfishness seem to rule the roost if we look at the world today. Now people go on journeys to, to find themselves. But in contrast to this, Jesus teaches that we should look first to God and to his kingdom. We should seek our sufficiency in the sufficiency of Christ. We should embrace our dependence on God, the God of all creation, instead of our own self-sufficiency. For if we trust in ourselves, if we trust in our own resources, then we don't look towards God. If we trust in our own religious attitude or in our own moral life, then what need do we have for Jesus? So poorness of spirit, poverty of spirit, has to do with humbling ourselves before God. It means recognizing our need for Jesus, not just for salvation, but also for our daily living, for our daily sanctification. It means not only expressing a, a broken heart or a contrite spirit, but walking it, living it, showing it in our lives. Remember what the risen Jesus said to the church in Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Now these were not people that had never heard of Christ. These were people who professed that they had accepted Christ as their saviour. Yet Jesus said to them that they don't even realise that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, naked. You see, as they became rich in earthly things, they start focusing on those things rather than on their need for Christ. Their understanding of their need for Jesus faded. And sadly, that sort of thing still happens today. 
The problem is that as people start becoming rich in earthly things like possessions or, or power, they can easily start thinking that they don't need Jesus anymore. And what's the result of that? They prioritise Jesus less and less. How often we see that even in the life of churchgoers. Brothers and sisters, poverty of spirit is crucial to our coming of Christ, yes. Because God pours out his, his amazing and saving grace on those who recognise their spiritual bankruptcy. But an ongoing awareness of our spiritual insufficiency is also vital for our continuing sanctification. Growing in spiritual maturity depends on it. It depends on it. And if we do not keep embracing it, if we do not keep on living it out, then we cannot, we cannot hear the applause of heaven. Let's return to that story of Father Sergius who had given up all his, his earthly wealth and he became a monk. He was financially poor, but spiritually he was not yet poor. You see, he became proud of his saintliness. He became proud of how hard he was working. He was proud even of his humility. It was only when he fell eventually into sexual sin that he realized what his spiritual state really was, how far he had indeed fallen. He realized that all the trappings of his religious life meant nothing, for he trusted in his own abilities. He trusted in his own abilities rather than coming before God in humility. And that paints a picture for us about how easy it is to claim to be a Christian on the outside and yet not have our hearts right with God. We can think of all the things we do for the church, all the working bees that we've attended, all the tithes that we've paid, all the Sunday morning services we've attended, all the sermons that we've preached. Yet internally, internally, it might not be right in our hearts with God. Dearest brothers and sisters, can I urge you that you and I, in our lives, ought to hear the applause of heaven rather than the applause of the congregation, the applause of others? Is God's face turned towards us? Does it light up our lives? How is poverty of spirit evidenced in your life, in my life? Are we hearing the applause of heaven? In the second part of the verse, Jesus goes on to speak of, of the consequences of poverty of spirit. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, belong to the poor in spirit. What is this kingdom? What is this kingdom of heaven that Jesus speaks about? Is it something that will only come when Christ returns at some time in the future? Yes, there will come a time when there will be no longer a, a rival kingdom, when the new heaven and the new earth is established, without a doubt. But without a doubt also, the kingdom of heaven is already with us right now. When Jesus came to live with his people, the kingdom wasn't just near, it was here. Now some might say that because Christ no longer lives among us, 
The kingdom of heaven is still something that is just somewhere off in the distance. But before he ascended, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit just doesn't just live with us. He lives in us. God lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is here already now. And as Romans 14 tells us, it isn't a kingdom of food and drink, but of righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is with us and lives within us, the kingdom is with us. We are part of God's kingdom right here in this world. And that means we need to live like that as well, doesn't it? I leave that question in your mind. How are we living out that, uh, that principle that we are already part of God's kingdom? The question I want to ask is, how do we get into that kingdom? The answer, as always, is to repent and believe. To repent is to be poor of spirit. And to be poor of spirit means that you will repent. You see how hopeless and how helpless we are. You see Christ in all his purity and you see yourself in your own spiritual shallowness and even filth. And it's the agony of that, that experience that brings your poverty of spirit and draws you, draws you to the cross. The kingdom of heaven can only, only be received by those who are poor in spirit, by those who in the power of the Holy Spirit look at the shelves of their souls and the cupboards of their souls and recognize that without God, those shelves and that cupboard is empty and bare. Have you opened the cupboard of your soul and looked at those shelves and cried out to God, Lord, I am nothing without you. Help me. Help me, for I am lost. Is that your cry? Even today, help me, Lord, for I am lost without you. Beloved in Christ, recognizing how utterly lost we are without, without Christ enables us to see our dependence on God and helps us to turn to God. And that same poverty of spirit helps us to continue to turn to God in reliance and independence. Poverty of spirit helps us to live our lives with the right attitude, a beautiful attitude. And it means that in this life and in the life to come, we will have true joy and true peace. For if we are approved by God, the kingdom of heaven belongs to us. I say this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dearest Father in heaven, thank you that the kingdom of heaven can be ours now and evermore. Thank you that we can enjoy your presence in the form of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Lord, that we can look forward to sharing your presence in eternity. Gracious God, give us the, that poverty of spirit of which your son Jesus speaks. And as we live our lives before other people and before you, let that poverty of spirit be evident in our lives too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.